Hey. Hey. Is that what you're wearing? Would you mind turning on the AC? I'm a little bit warm. Yeah, actually I just tweaked it to get some more power, so. You know, this date reminds me of my ex-boyfriend. He was so sensitive. Well, I mean, I could cry if you wanted me to, or... I had a good, a good time tonight. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm going to... Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I think that was a, a reflex. Yeah, that's cool. I would have done the same thing. I cannot feel my face. Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? So we're wrapping up our series on dating. Uh, today is the day in which we're uh, landing that together. So I just want to do a real quick shout out to our Santan campus, to our Scottsdale campus. Man, so glad you guys are part of this. If you're here for the first time, and especially if you're a married couple, you're probably going, man, what a, what a bad first Sunday for me to visit on. Actually, that could not be further for the truth. It's been really interesting as we've had this series. We've had more emails and more conversations in the hallway by married people saying, oh, man, that, that was so insightful. I, I mean, I all of a sudden realized what I kind of brought with me into the marriage. That's describing what we're struggling with currently in our relationship. And I just didn't realize what that was. Because one of the things we've been saying to each other is that a ton of what we call marital problems, marital struggles, are actually single people problems that we never dealt with while we were single, and we brought them to the marriage with us. So I'm just going to say, hey, if this is your first time, and if, if you're married, hang in here, because this is absolutely going to end up applying to you somewhere in your life. And secondly, if you've got kids, probably the second most important conversation you're ever going to have with your children is this conversation about who they date, how they date, what they should be looking for when they date, what ought to be deal breakers when they date. And parents, you want to help them do this well, or they're going to marry Tawala, and you're going to be in trouble. So this is a big conversation, okay? You want to get this right. So one of the things that we're going to do today is we're going to land whoop, the five non-negotiables. Uh, we've been saying this all along. We started out with it. We said that we were going to get to this. And what it is, it's a card in which we said, look, we're going to set down some priorities for the people that we date. And the part that was interesting and fun is we said, look, God is going to ask us to reserve the first two for Him. He's going to say, look, I've got two non-negotiables that every Christian should have on their dating card, but the next three are totally up to you. You get to decide whatever you want to decide about the next three non-negotiables. You know, I'm, I'm only going to date people who. And so if you're a guy and you go, look, uh, she has to look like Angelina Jolie, that can be number three right there. It's going to take you a while to find her, but you can do that, okay? You, that can be number three. If you're a gal in the room and you say, hey, look, it's just, I'm just telling you, it's a non-negotiable. He has to have the Donald Trump comb-over thing going, or I'm not dating. If, if that's important to you, you can, you can put it on the list. See, this is the really, really cool part about this thing, is that God has said, hey, look, I want you to find a person that you're thrilled with, and says, so I'm going to reserve the first two for me, but you get to decide the next three. And so we're actually going to land this together today. Now, here's the thing I do want to say to you. What we're going to push into each other's lives today might be 
It might be the most uncomfortable of the five discussions that we're going to have. And I'm just going to ask you to, to say, hey, you know what? I'm going I'm to sit here with an open heart. I'm going to listen and see if maybe God would speak to me today before, before I start coming up with my excuses or reasons. Okay? I'm just going to see what God would do. And there's going to be a moment in here, I just want to say to the married couple, there's going to be a moment in here where you're going to go, wow, this sounds like it's only for singles today. Hang on. We're going to get to a place that you may get more out of this today than our singles do. Okay? So here, here we go on the process. All right. Here's what I did. I created um, a list of potential non-negotiables, deal breakers, so to speak. And so we're just going to do a real quick survey. You raise your hand if you say, hey, Lynn, that might be one of my uh, non-negotiables. Uh, it might be a deal breaker. Would it be a deal breaker for you if the person that you were dating had horrible, horrible halitosis breath? How many go, you know, that might be a problem for me. Okay, the rest of you are just going, man, buy a bottle of scope. It's good. Uh, how many people would say, hey, it might be a deal breaker for me if they were a cat person? That'd be a deal. See, I'm with you. I am not marrying the crazy cat lady. I am not doing that. That's like number three on my list. All right. How many would say it might be a deal breaker if they smoke? You, if they smoke. Hey, you realize in 1950, nobody would have raised their hand and gone, oh, what's wrong with that? All right. Uh, how many would say it might be a deal breaker if they're disrespectful towards their parents? How many say that might be a deal breaker? You, you realize what just happened there, right? All the old people went, yeah, especially the ones that have teenage kids. They're like, yeah, that's a deal breaker. All the young adults in the room were going, what's the problem with that? Why would you even bring that up? What's that about? You wait. All right. Uh, what if, what if they were just the opposite of you on raising kids? So one of you is like, let the kids run through the fields, let them pick flowers, let's just make them happy. And the other one's like military academy. You know, I mean, what if you were like polar opposites on raising kids? How many of you say, hey, that might be a deal breaker? All of you that have kids. All right. Uh, who, who would say if we're the opposite on money? So like one of you says, hey, we ought to be saving you know, and saving is when you take your paycheck and you take a piece of that and you put it in the bank. And the other one of you says saving is when uh, the difference between the retail price and the sale price is savings. That's savings. And you say, so if we were waiting for our money, may, that might be a deal breaker. Okay. All right. All right. So here's the interesting thing. As we have the conversation today and as we land the first two on the card, the one that God's going to say, these are the deal breakers, these are the big things, he's going to say that the deal breakers, the non-negotiables, both involve him. They involve your relationship with him and the person you're potentially dating's relationship with him. And he's going to say, these are the two non-negotiables that have to hit your card. These are the two places you cannot fudge because if you give ground on this, if you bend these rules, you lead yourself to places that are hurtful and harmful and painful in your lives. And he's going to suggest that the two non-negotiables involve him. Now, this is interesting because culture is going to tell you something totally different. They're going to say, hey, look, it, it doesn't matter if you're religiously off with someone. I mean, that's something you can navigate. You can negotiate that. You can say, hey, we're, you know, we're going to go to church once a month. And they say, no, three, you know, in, or compromise on two. Hey, we're going to be Baptist. No, we're going to be Catholic. All right, we'll go non-denominational. You know? So you know, the world would say, hey, you can, you can navigate this. You can compromise this out. Jesus is going to say, no, 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 no. Your relationship with me, their relationship with me are the two most important factors in who you date and who you marry.
Okay? Grab your Bibles. Here we go. It's the book of Amos. There is, I promise, there really is a book of Amos. I'm not, I'm not playing a joke in the room. Uh, it's Amos uh, chapter 3. Let me help you uh, get there real quick. Uh, Amos is uh, in the Old Testament, so if you go right to the middle of your Bible, you're going to probably find the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs. Start going to the right. You're going to see books like Ezekiel, Daniel, okay? And then you're going to get to some really small books, Hosea, Joel, Amos. If you get to Obadiah, you've gone too far. If you get to Matthew, you're just lost, okay? So <laughs> Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Amos, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Okay, so get there. It's Amos chapter 3. While you're turning, here's what, here's what Amos chapter 3 is basically going to say to you and me. It's going to say, if you're going to do life together, you've got to have a place of commonality. You've got to have some place in which you meet. There's a meeting of the minds. There's, there's got to be something you have in common with the person you're going to do life with. Now, even before Amos tells us this, you and I know this intuitively because you've seen couples, and when you saw that couple together, you went, huh? How? What, what does he see in her? What, what does she see in him? And what you are missing in the moment is there's something they have in common. There is a place of mutual agreement that's actually energizing for them. It's connecting for them. You know, they may be Trekkies. Uh, they may be people who like to hike. There's something, there's something that has a common ground that excites them about the relationships. That makes sense? Okay. So here we go. It's Amos chapter 3. Starting in verse 3, get your, get your thinking caps on because this is probably the deepest verse in the Bible. No, I'm teasing. This is actually, when I read this, you're going to go, oh my goodness, that's, that's like, why did they even put that in the Bible? That's like too simple for the Bible. Okay, here we go. It's Amos chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? And you're going, well, of course not. I mean, if you're going to walk together, you've got to kind of agree to walk together. You know, you've got to be uh, going the same direction and the same place at the same time. I mean, that's, come on. And now, Jesus is going to come back and say, exactly. Because, because, you ready for this? Uh, let's say she wants to go to Flagstaff. He, he has his heart set on Yuma. Are they riding in the same car? There's just no chance, right? It's opposite directions. It's, it's completely different. Way. Two can't ride together unless they're going to the same place. I mean, that's only logical. So if they're going to ride together, what has to happen? One of them has to agree not to go where they were planning to go and instead to go where the other one was going. Make sense? Okay. So, she's a Christian. Uh, she's committed her life to following Jesus Christ, which means every single decision of her life, she filters through what would Scripture say, what would Jesus want. He's a non-Christian. And guys, look, 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 here's the deal. 
If you're in the room right now and you're pre-Jesus, you haven't made a decision for Christ, you just need to hear us say, it's okay, and nothing you're going to hear today in any way is intended to put you down or belittle anything, because here's what you need to know. We have built a church where people who are trying to figure out Jesus have the time and the grace to figure that out, and so you're in exactly the right room. And here's the other part of this. Every one of us was you before we were a weird Christian. We were. We were, okay? So we get it. But here's what we also get, and here's what you understand if you're still trying to figure Jesus out. When people give their lives to Jesus, something strange happens to them. Uh, Their life begins to go in a completely different way, and it's just kind of a little bit freaky. It's probably part of what has you hesitating about making a decision for yourself about Jesus because you're not sure you want to go to church that often. And so you're wondering. But because you haven't made that decision, because he hasn't made that decision, you realize that everything he processes, he processes through human logic, what culture has taught him, and what his friends do. That's how he bases his decision. Which means, uh, she says, hey, look, uh, following Christ, doing what Christ wants, that's the most important thing you could do with your life. He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm not even sure I think he's real. Uh, she says, hey, when it gets really hard, when you get to a decision that maybe is a little bit confusing and you don't quite understand why the Bible said to do that, that's actually the most important time to obey. Because here's the deal, God's wisdom is so much greater than my wisdom that He's actually blessing me when I obey Him and I don't understand Him. He's saying, are you kidding? Are you talking about taking your head off? Are you talking about taking blind leaps of faith? That's dumb. And you realize that with every decision He makes, with every decision she makes, they're actually moving further away. And God would say, look, two can't walk together unless they be agreed, especially, ready, about the most important thing in life. And so what are you going to do in a moment when she is dating him? If you're a Christian and you're dating a non-Christian, here's what you need to know you will eventually take Jesus out of your relationship. If you stay in that relationship, you will eventually take Jesus out of that relationship. You will. Here, here, let me explain why. He can't possibly, she can't possibly, because they don't know Jesus, find a commonality with you around Jesus. And a matter of fact, every decision you make for Jesus is going to sound crazy to them. And let's just be honest. This following Jesus thing, it's hard. How many agree with that? It's hard. Okay, just wait. You guys haven't done enough yet. Okay, I'm just telling you. It's hard. Whoever that preacher was that says, oh, when you accept Jesus in your heart, you go home and there's roses growing in your yard. You walk up to the door and your kids are suddenly obedient and compliant. It's just, it's a miracle when you become a… They lied. Are you kidding me? This following Jesus is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the hardest thing you will ever do. And the only way that I can survive it, the only way that you can manage it, is that when you and I became a Christian, 
In that moment, God placed the Holy Spirit inside of us to give us direction and to give us strength. Guess what he doesn't have? And it's not his fault. He just doesn't have that capacity. So the only way that you two are going to walk together is you will eventually have to decide to leave Jesus out because that's the only common ground you have. Some of us, some of us in the room are going, well, Lynn, I don't think you thought this through because I'm actually a backslidden Christian. See, the truth is I've asked Jesus in my heart, you know, I've prayed the prayer and, you know, I come to church once in a while, but if I'm going to be honest, I live more like the world than I do like Jesus. So the truth is I have more in common with people who don't know Jesus than I do with Christians. So we're doing just fine because we've got all sorts of mutual agreement. No, you're actually in trouble. Let me explain why. When a Christian dates a non-Christian, you're defrauding them. How many of you know what defrauding is? Okay, three lawyers just raise their uh. Okay, all right. So let me help. Defrauding is when I promise something, I sell something that I cannot deliver. Okay? So when a Christian dates a non-Christian, and when that Christian behaves like a non-Christian because they're backslidden, they're promising that person, hey, I'm going to be this wild and crazy backslidden person the rest of my life. It's, it's kind of like as if, if I said to you, hey, I've got this incredible lot, it's up in Pine Top, it's got trees, it's got this beautiful stream going through, it's a great place to build a cabin, I'll sell it to you for 200000 You buy the lot, you take a look at the, uh, uh, not the map, the, the deed. You take a look at the deed and uh, you realize it's swampland in Florida. I just defrauded you. See, when, when you're a backslidden Christian and, and you're doing all that stuff together because you're more like them than you are like Jesus, see, he thinks, he thinks he's dating Miley Cyrus. <laughs> see, you know what she thinks? She thinks she's dating Kanye West. And that that's just the way it's going to be. Here's the problem. You ready for this, guys? If you're a child of God and you're living backslidden right now, God will not leave you there. He won't. He's going to do whatever he has to do to get your attention, get you down on your knees, and repenting. Which means, you ready? The hound of heaven will chase you until you're done running. And I'm just, there's going to be a moment. I don't know when that moment is. I don't know if that moment's when you get married. I don't know if that moment's when you have your children and you start saying, hey, my kids need a spiritual foundation. I don't know if that moment is driving along in a car by yourself and suddenly your life sweeps over you and you just go, what am I doing? I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm living a horrible lifestyle. I don't know when that moment is. But I'm just telling you, God will not rest if you're his child until that moment comes. And you get down here and you go, God, I, I just wasted the last 10 years of my life. I just, I just, I'm so far behind where I ought to be spiritually. And you, and you give up. Here's the interesting thing. If you've ever watched a backslidden Christian, someone who's argued and wrestled and fought with God for years and years and years, when they finally figure God out, when they finally repent, they don't do it in a little way. Uh, 
These people, man, when they turn, they turn. And then it's like they go crazy for God. I mean, they're just like on full speed. These are the people that carry around their Bibles beating the rest of us up. I mean, they're just, Wah! for Jesus. And here's the problem for him. He thought he was dating Miley Cyrus. Now she's Mother Teresa. He's going, what, what, what? I, I did not sign up for this. See, she thought she was getting Kanye West, and now he's Billy Graham. Oh, my. How did this happen? And I'm just going to say to you, if you're a backslidden Christian, stop dating. Just stop dating until you figure out Jesus and until you get your spiritual feet under you so that you can give an honest presentation of who you are. Stop dating. And if you're here and you're pre-Jesus, you're a person who hasn't figured out God yet, and you're dating a backslidden Christian, run, run. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Run. On your way to the parking lot, break up with them and tell them they can find their own ride home because you're done being defrauded. Throw that backslidden Christian to the curb. Go find a good heathen, all right? Just... Run, run. There's a second problem. When Christians date people who don't know their Jesus yet, they absolutely violate the yoking principle. Okay? So grab your Bibles again. It's 2 Corinthians. If you're not familiar, go to the back of your Bible. Start working to the left. 2 Corinthians. If your Bible has 3 Corinthians, you've got the wrong Bible. Throw it away. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm just going to prepare you for this, okay? This is one of those moments in the Bible where the Bible just kind of puts it out there, doesn't pull any punches, doesn't worry about being too politically correct. And here's, here's what Paul says about this very topic that you and I are talking about. Here it is. It's Second Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. Do not be yoked. Remember that word, okay, yoked. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I mean, think about this for a second. You realize light and darkness are mutually exclusive. See, having light means the absence of dark. Having darkness means the absence of light. How in the world do you put those two things together, he says? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement uh, is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are God's temple of the living God, as God has said, I will live with them, I will walk with them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, and here's his answer, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, look, look, this is not saying that a Christian can't have friendships with people who don't know Jesus. That's not what it's saying. Matter of fact, you need to have friendships with people who don't know Jesus yet because you're their best shot to understand Jesus, to see Jesus on you. What he's saying is you cannot have dependent, leaning, 
life-affecting relationships with people who don't know your Jesus. So see if I can help. So God says, this is okay. You, you can be friends. It's okay to be friends, and you can do that. As a matter of fact, that's great uh, for you to do that with someone who doesn't know your Lord. You can even do this. So you can have somebody who doesn't know your Jesus, who leans on you, who says, hey, I'm really struggling with my life right now, trying to figure something out. Would you give me some counsel? Would you advise me? And what an amazing moment for you to then advise them scripturally. He's not giving her a hickey. Stop looking that way. You guys are all… <laughs> what a great moment for you then to speak into someone's life truth. What he's saying is you can't do this. You as a Christian cannot have a leaning in, I need your counsel and advice with somebody who does not understand your Jesus. And you surely can't do that. That's what he's saying. Here's why. Remember the phrase yoking. Now, that doesn't mean much to you and me because you and I don't live in a rural agrarian farming type culture. But I promise you, when Paul first penned these words, the second he said that they went, oh, no more explanation needed. I get it. Okay. Here's what a yoke was. A yoke was a piece of wood, and you would take this piece of wood, and you would put it between two animals, most often oxen or mule, and they would then be strapped to your plow, and they would pull the plow. And what that required was simple. You needed a match set. You needed two oxen that were approximately the same strength, and those two oxen had to learn how to walk at the same pace. And when you had a match set, those oxen would go all day plowing for you straight lines in your field. They were gold. And Paul says, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare be unequally yoked. Because if you take one strong oxen and now you put a young, inexperienced ox next to it, or maybe you put a less virile or a weaker ox next to it, the strong ox will always outpull the weaker ox, the younger ox, and you'll be plowing in circles. Which means, ready for this, watch this. When you had a mismatched set, the farmer had to lean on the handle of the plow to literally, watch this, slow down the strong animal so that it wouldn't outpace the weak animal. And he spent his entire day fighting his oxen. And every time they got off, off set, he had to back, think about it, he had to back oxen up, get them back in line, lean back on the handle and try to walk. Um, a farmer with a mismatched set of oxen could plow a quarter of what any other farmer could plow because they were mismatched. You realize if you mismatch your life, if as a believer you link your life to a non-believer, you realize every decision in your marriage is going to be a struggle. And, and not because someone's trying to be mean or rude, but because your views of life are so different. See, there's going to be a moment when you're going to say, hey, you know what? I just feel convicted right now. I think we ought to tithe. And if you're matched with someone who doesn't know your Jesus, they're going to go, what? Well, it, it gets worse because here's the deal. I need my car for business. 
So I was thinking we ought to sell your car so we can eliminate the payment and then we could tithe. You want to sell my car so that we can tithe? Are you insane? Hey, uh, we're going through really hard times right now. And I, and I just don't sense in our lives that we've done anything wrong or we've been disobedient to Christ. So I really believe that although you lost your job and although we're struggling financially, I think maybe this is the hand of God teaching us something in our lives. And your partner's going to go, you mean God would do this to us? I mean, if that's what God does, I don't even know if I want God in my life, if he's that unfair and that mean. And do you really think about this, guys? Every decision of your marriage will be a mismatched decision, and you will go at a quarter the pace of a matched pair. And you'll be wondering, why aren't we connected more? Why are we still struggling with things after 10 years that I've seen other couples be done with after 10 months? Because you're mismatched. Now, I know the passage specifically talks about Christians and non-Christians being paired together, but I'm going to suggest to you I think the application goes further. I think the application also goes to strong Christians, mature Christians, matching their life with baby Christians, people who are nowhere near them in their own personal maturity, and that that's actually a mismatched set. So just to kind of help that out, I've actually asked for some help to illustrate it here. So we're going to bring out our mature oxen first. I couldn't get an oxen. I looked. It wasn't viable. So close enough, right? So, uh, so this is going to be, okay, here we go. There you go. All right. So this is our mature Christian. This is our strong, healthy, vibrant Christian ready to pull the yoke. And then we're going to match our mature Christian up with a baby Christian. So bring the baby Christian on. Okay. Come on. Just go, baby Christian. Come on right there. Okay. All right. So I, do I even need to explain? I mean, think about, think about this. Mature Christian takes one step forward spiritually. Baby Christian's going, to keep up. It's 20 steps. It's 20 steps. And dude, you are so smart. You are running. All right. And guys, look, 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 look. Here, here's what's going to happen. The mature Christian, without even trying to be obnoxious, is going to end up dragging the baby Christian everywhere. I mean, think about it. Uh, the mature Christian says, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, I think we ought to uh, not only be at church on Sunday, I think we ought to start serving. Amen. Serving? Yeah, I think, I think we ought to go to church one hour. I think we ought to serve the next hour. I just think that's what we ought to do. The baby Christian's going... <laughs> She's already trying to get out of the relationship. The baby Christian's going, don't you know that Sports Center starts at nine? Right? You understand, right? And so, guys, I'm just going to tell you, the baby Christian will forever resent the mature Christian because they feel like they're being dragged along. You, you want to make this thing really disproportionate? 
make the mature Christian the wife and the baby Christian the husband and now make him the head of your home. How ugly does that get? How often is there something to be decided? There's a decision to make for the family about the kids or about finances or about even vacation. And she can see it way before. And he's back here going, I, I don't understand. I mean, why would we do that? I, I don't get it. How frustrated is she? How resentful is he? And I'm just telling you, can two walk together except they be agreed, and they can't. All right, let's thank these guys for coming out, for doing that with us. All right, here's, here's what I want us uh, to do together. If you're single right now, I'd like for you to grab your card. There's cards in the seat backs. Uh, if you're at one of our sites, the card should have been on your chair. It should have been on the ground underneath your chair. But grab the card. Here's what I'm going to challenge you if you're single right now. I'm going to challenge you that number one and number two belong to him. And, and here's what I'm going to ask you to place in number one and number two. Number one, I will only date Christians. Number two, I will only date Christians who are comparable to me in their walk with Christ. I will not mismatch my maturity. Okay, number one, number two. And then we're going to give you a few minutes to sing. You, can, you, can put, you get to fill out the rest, okay? The rest is you. Blonde hair, blue eyes, the rest is yours, okay? You get to do that. But I want you to be able to leave today and go, hey, I, I've got this figured out. While they're doing that, I want to talk to married couples. Because here's my guess. My guess is in this room, as we had this conversation, for some of us, that was tough because we realized we are in a mismatched set. And so now we're left with, okay, now what do I do? If you're the mature one, if you're the Christian with the non-Christian or you're the mature Christian with the baby Christian, you're going to have to figure out how to keep moving forward in your walk with Christ and not impose your progress on your spouse because they're just not ready for it yet. And if you keep dragging along, if you keep insisting, if you keep saying, hey, why can't we make this decision? They're gonna end up resenting you and they're gonna end up resenting your Lord. And news bulletin, you are not your spouse's Holy Spirit. I had a lady who was in the first service. She came up to me after the first service. She said, Lynn, you, you described my home when you talked about this mismatch thing. And she said, you know, I, I can't even tell you, I got resentful toward my husband. And she said, I literally had to stop praying for my husband. I said, what did you mean, stop praying for She said, because my prayer was God fix him. And I realized it was a horribly selfish prayer. And I had to start praying God fix me. Let, let me be able to do my walk. Let me not be dragging him. Let me, let, let me just serve you and let me give him the grace to figure you out. Sometimes the thing that's keeping your spouse from God is your spouse. If you're the baby Christian 
or if you're the non-Christian and you find yourself in this relationship. Is it possible? Is it possible that the thing that's kept you from God isn't God at all? That the thing that's caused you hesitation has nothing to do with him and has more to do with the pressure you felt from your spouse? It's interesting, I, years ago, I, we had a guy coming to Cornerstone and we were praying for him, praying for him to become a Christian, praying for him to be a Christian, praying for him to be a Christian. Finally, one day I was sitting down with him at lunch and I said, you know, you've been coming now for seven years, are you ever gonna be a Christian? And he said, I am. I said, what do you mean you are? We've been praying for you for seven years. He goes, I know, I don't wanna tell my wife because then she'll expect more. And isn't it true, isn't it true that you already know in your heart you're going to make that decision? Either to become a Christian or you're going to make that decision to start getting serious about your Christian walk. So, so just leave your spouse out of it and do it. Just do it. Start, start moving toward catching up or at least being in proximity. It's interesting because the same woman I told you that I talked to, her husband went to one of our men's meetings, his heart turned and he began to grow. And here's the next words out of her mouth. You ready for this? And when I saw my husband stepping up spiritually, he became so attractive to me. Guys, if for no other reason, right? How cool is that? That your wife would glow when you're in the room, that she'd be proud of you because of the steps you're making in your Christian faith. So leave her out of it, leave him out of it. Just do what you already know you're gonna do. Start stepping up. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, I pray for our singles in the room right now. Give them courage. Uh, if they make the decision not to date people who don't know you or not to date people whose spiritual life is way out of balance with theirs, uh, they may be making some phone calls this afternoon. Uh, relationships may be changing and even ending today. And yet, God, I'm going to pray that you would give them the courage and the grace to adopt your two non-negotiables. God, I pray for families, for married couples in this room who, in the midst of this conversation to singles, said, oh boy, I brought a single problem to my marriage, and I'm, I'm in a mismatched relationship. And God, I simply pray for the mature oxen in the room that they would give their spouse grace, maybe even an apology, that they might even go home today and say, hey, I'm just, I'm sorry. I, I realize now that I've actually been dragging you along and, and I've probably been causing you resentment because of the pressure I've been putting on you. And I just want to tell you, I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I pray for those who maybe are still pre-making a decision for Jesus or those who are just young in their faith. And they know, they know they're going to make that decision eventually. Could this just be the day? Could this be the day they step into grace and they step into discipleship and just say, look, I'm, I'm going to get serious about my walk with God. I'm going to, I'm going to breach some of the gap that's going on in my marriage, some of the gap that's in my dating relationship. And uh, I, I'm going to work toward a match set. God, would you just change us today? And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.